Well, Alex, it is a privilege to have you on Talking Church today here in Minnesota. Thanks so much for joining and taking some of your time to chat on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's taken us over 60 episodes to get an Australian on here, <laughs> which, which is a surprise to me uh, with how many Aussie friends I have. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose, would you consider yourself American now, now that you've lived here for a while? Or are you Well, I'm an Aussie? American citizen, okay. so that That's, counts. Yeah, that does. So I would say I'm a dual citizen. So I'm obviously through and through Aussie on the inside, but completely acclimated to being American. Good. Well, let's jump right to it. <laughs> what what brought you to America? Why, why move mm-hmm. your family across the mm-hmm. world? The Lord. Um, it's always, I always get that question just randomly out and about in the store or, you know, any kind of business situation. And they'll be like, so why did you move? And I'm always like, do I say the Lord? Which most times I do, depending on how much time I have to uh, expound on our and our call. But yeah, honestly, my my husband and I just felt this innate call. Um, I think you're supposed to go to America, and it took about two years of in of that kind of swirling around on the inside of us. What were you doing at the time? So we were both. Uh, working on staff full-time at a church in Australia. Okay. Like we'd help pioneer. It had been part of a movement for a very long time since I think I, my first ministry job was 1994. Okay. So 95, actually. 94 is at Bible College. 95. And so uh, it was around 2008, 2009 that my husband just felt this stirring. Like I think, I think we're supposed to move to America. And I'm like, well, you can move to America. <laughs> I ain't moving to America. And, but we began to pray into it and um, we just asked the Lord to confirm it. And so it was about a two-year process of just asking the Lord, like, why? What, what are we going there for? Like, why is this draw to go to America? Um, but it was bizarre because we had so many confirmations through prophetic words or people who didn't know us and just, I can see you mm. doing this. Or would you, have you ever thought of this? And it was kind of those little flags along the way. But it wasn't until we talked to our pastors and we'd been with them for, you know, nearly two decades. And um, we were like, we just feel a stirring and I think we're supposed to move abroad. Mm. And they're like, well, let's ask the Lord. And if it's meant to be, let, let's put a little kind of, uh, confirmation piece out and why don't you ap- apply for the green card lottery which most Americans don't know what that is yeah if you're a foreigner yep. you you are very well acquainted with oh, it yeah. and um we were like oh no one ever gets residency through the lottery because it's like millions of people apply and there's only 50,000 that they give worldwide um but they were like that's kind of God's confirmation then and so that wasn't until like we told them in June didn't apply till October and didn't find out till the following May. So you can imagine that whole season of, okay, Lord, what is going on? They give me a promotion to executive pastor thinking they're never going to get it. And we're like, no problems because we're thinking if it's the Lord, okay, let that be the the sign. And uh, it rolled around to May that, that next year and we didn't get it. We didn't get the application process approved. And I was like, oh, that's that's really weird because we'd had so many prophetic words. We started to feel this kind of separating and it was like uh, something feels like it's moving. And so my husband was actually in Germany on tour with the with the band and the team. And, and he's like, I got this random email from the US State Department saying that they've 
made an error with the lottery and they're going to redraw in July. Do you think it's legit? So I do my research and I'm like, oh, yeah, love. There was a computer glitch and it only Mm. took a certain number so it wasn't a fair draw. So they're redrawing it in July, which means everyone gets back into the pool and it will be um, determined in July. And July rolls around and they were like, you've been successful um, for the lottery. And so we went back to our pastors and we're like, it's... we're going and they're like well that that has to be the lord because you got a no and then a yes it was a redraw and so we ended up moving in april of 2012 not knowing what on earth we were doing so a lot of people now think we came to america to start a church but we actually didn't uh henry's always been involved in worship and music and production and uh sound engineering all that that jazz so he was able to work anywhere we could have moved to anywhere and he could have worked um so America just felt right. Nashville felt right because he'd always worked with um, bands and things like that. And so we kind of just landed in Nashville. But I hated it. And I was like... <laughs> Why? I, it was just so foreign. It, it was probably the greatest culture shock for me because even though we spoke the same language, the mindset and the cultural differences are literally like East and West. Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. So I was like, I, I don't understand. I Nothing feels familiar. Everything feels different. And yet when you go on a holiday, you think, oh, this is where, you know, everything's the same. But when you're living amongst it all, you realise all the nuances that you're so familiar with and used to. So I did not like Nashville. And Nashville 11 years ago is not the Nashville that everyone's moving to Nashville now because we have actually prayed over the city (laughs) and brought... Revival. People should thank you for yeah, it. Thank yes. you. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. You're welcome because the promised land is here and now. But um, no, I'm only joking for those of you who probably think I'm serious. But, um, but you know, it wasn't great. It was dry. Spiritually, it was very barren. It was difficult. It was very religious. had a huge religious spirit over it. Um, and I just didn't want to be there. So I was like, can we move to L.A., New York, somewhere where there's non-Christians? It felt very Christian but not alive yeah. if that makes sense like everyone's a southern cultural christian right. but not a born again disciple does mm-hmm. that make sense absolutely and so that's why it was really hard for for me um but henry started working with a lot of the artists and musicians and whoever at the time and we were noticing a trend we were noticing that nobody went to church on sundays because they were mostly touring but also there was nothing to go to that was bringing them life mm-hmm. and so but we're watching their lives kind of unravel and we're like hold on a minute no one's discipling these musicians artists and whoever maybe we should just open up our home and so that's kind of how church began it was an accidental discipleship program if you like that turned into a church that's awesome yeah a lot of times i think people see something 10 years ahead down the road with you know all the the glamour and glory uh, but they don't see the beginning point. Mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about it before, but talk about some of the things that you and Henry had to walk through in planning a church because people may assume, oh, well, you know, he has that history as a band. I'm sure it's just right away everyone was coming, everyone was giving, everyone was serving. Mm-hmm. It was all perfect and great. Uh, what what are some of the challenges right away working with people yeah. who, like you said, they're maybe an inch deep in their faith, but culturally they accept it, but then when it comes down to it, they're maybe not going to stand firm on what they believe. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the interesting thing was because for the first year it wasn't a church. It was just a gathering of musicians. So that part was 
heaven on earth. I mean, we were seeing revival. We were seeing people come into our basement. I invited the first five people that came and that was it. The rest came because of what was happening with those five and then what happened with the 10 and then the 20. And then so a year in, we've got over 120 people coming to our home in oh. our basement. Thank God the people that we were renting from had the smarts because they were from Canada. They, their sons loved doing indoor hockey. And so they they made this massive garage basement mm. that they would practice hockey in. Sure. And so it was like the Lord knew we <laughs> needed this space. But so we had 120 people jammed in our um, basement. And then when the Lord actually confirmed this is a church through my dear friend Christine Kane, mm. she'd seen us um, at Carrie Job's recording actually in Dallas. And we'd just been offered to go work for a pastor in California mm. and and for Henry to be his worship director and me to be like the, the women's teaching pastor. And so because we're still thinking this is just a gathering, sure. right? We're, well, we're just discipling musicians and creatives and, and they need it. They need help, you know. Um, but God was doing something so profound that when Chris saw me, she's like, uh, what on earth is going on in your basement? You realise this is a church and we're like, no way. Like we can't, we're not number ones. Like we're mm -hmm. not that, that's not our MO. We're, we're, we'll go serve a church any day of the week. But to lead a church, Henry's, he's a worship guy. Yeah. Like he's not that guy. He's never preached a message in his life. Like, no, like, and I used to do all the preaching. He would do all the worship leading in our home. But that was like, it was a discipleship gathering. Right. So She's like, Alex, do not disobey God. This is a church and you have to reproduce after yourselves. God's doing a new thing in Nashville and it's through you guys. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I knew that was the inkling, but I didn't want to face it. So it wasn't until we decided, okay, this is a church. Sure. A year later, so we had to say no to our beautiful mentor, pastor, leader that we love so much. Um, and said, I think we have to stay because he knew that we were doing this gathering and he sure. said, well, why don't you just fly back from California to Nashville yeah. every week? You can do both. And we're like, I don't know if that's going to work that <laughs> way. Sure. Um, but that's when because we didn't see it as a church. So it wasn't until – so we got back that November 2013. We'd been doing this a year and then we told our little gathering of 120 people, this is a church. So we didn't – then opened the doors outside of our home until February 2014 and mm. everyone said we were nuts and crazy. They said, you can't build a church on a Tuesday night. You can't build so a church. So all this was happening Tuesday nights. All Tuesday okay. nights because everyone yeah, gets on a tour bus on yeah. Wednesday and they get home Monday. So Tuesday's their Sabbath. Mm. Monday, Tuesday's their Sabbath. And so he, they're like, you're never going to – a church in the south is not going to do well on a Tuesday night. You have to have a Sunday meeting. People will not tithe on a Tuesday night. Creatives aren't generous. Some of them are so poor that they're just making ends meet. They are not reliable. And everyone kept telling us why we shouldn't. Mm. And I was like, but there's a move of God happening. Sure. And actually people are giving and we're not even taking up offerings. Like mm. People are coming up to us and saying, just put this in a, a for, for whatever you need because we have to tithe to this because you have been our spiritual food. So mm. I was looking at all of these things and every – like so if you are a church planter listening, <laughs> we did everything you probably shouldn't do, like everything the wrong way up. But God was moving and I think the challenges that we faced were not even about the people, it was more us. 
we didn't come to terms with the fact that we were senior pastors of a church mm. um, in Nashville. Like I think for us it took us – we kept saying to everybody for a year, this isn't a church, this isn't – we are not your pastors, it's not a <laughs> church. So I think the greatest obstacle honestly was us. Then it got to the place when we became a bit more known because now this church is growing so rapidly. It was – in the South, people didn't appreciate me being a female pastor. Mm-hmm. They didn't yeah. appreciate me preaching because I did all the preaching at first and mm-hmm. then Henry was all doing all the worship. And so we had different challenges, but the meetings and the people and the the way God was moving was absolutely miraculous. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, the, some of the pushback that you, you received. Can, can you talk about even how you're leading it today. You know, obviously at mm-hmm. that time you're having to figure out what are we, who are we? Mm-hmm. Uh, your roles were based upon just your gifts that you yes. had had, but you really weren't asserting yourself into these positions. Right. But now that you have established that, what does your roles look like? Whereas you're yeah. traveling a lot more, yeah. Henry's there more. How have you guys figured that yeah. out as really it's kind of been pulled out of you? Yeah, it's a great question because I think early days I was there every week. I wasn't traveling. Um, you know, 2013, uh, there was just, yes, to 2013, 14, 15, I was basically home. Every Tuesday night we were, I was preaching. But then I don't even know how God opened doors, but people started finding out about, like they'd come to the basement or they would come to Rocket Town and then they would be like, hold on a minute, we'd love you to come to our youth conference or we'd want you to come do this. And So I actually started travelling, but because we didn't have Sunday services early on, it was fine. I'd always be back for a Tuesday. It wasn't until we started opening up Sunday services that then my schedule was opening up and I'm I'm like, Henry, you have to preach. And he's like, I, but I don't, I don't want to preach. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> no, no, you have to preach. Like you have to hear from both of us because yeah. it's very, very necessary that it, it's not perceived that it's a female-dominated church. Like I'm asserting myself, like mm-hmm. I'm the female speaker and my husband's over in this corner because we're such a team just in life yeah. and in marriage that I could never want that perception to yeah. be someone's reality so he kind of had to start start the preaching but it was really um interesting because then we obviously had to build a team so it's almost like we were building the car while we were driving on a highway like everything was kind of oh and we better get that organized and we bet because we'd already been established you know by 2014 by june we've got 300 people that we are now pastoring and i'm like Oh, my goodness. And so I think those challenges of what giftings were best placed where. Like Henry was great. He knew how to disciple and lead the worship. I could preach and teach. But then, hey, we've got to, we've got to have point leaders and we've got to employ pastors. And now we've got to, we had to almost do everything. So we, I think that was difficult because Henry had never done that in the past. I'd always been in a pastoral role, always been in a leadership role, a training role. I think that's honestly where we had to weather a few Mm. nuances of like, hold on a minute, who's in charge here? We're both leading, but I have to submit to my husband, but he's not done this part of ministry before. (laughs) You know, and then so I'm having to sit back going, I don't I don't agree. I don't yeah, think that's yeah. right. But then so it was it was a bit of a dance yeah, in, in the early stages. It's the tension of like yeah. this biblical 
submission and respect and yes. love, but also the giftings, right? Yeah. Which I think, I think now yeah. more than ever is where the church, I would say, is getting excited, but also confused, mm-hmm. right? Where there's people that have clear gifts to communicate, yeah. but then there's, you know, denominationally, of course, there's yes. disagreements about what the role of pastor means, mm-hmm. what a deacon is an elder. And, you know, I mean, there's, a lot going on. I'm we're AG, so yeah. for us, we've women in ministry has been around yeah, for a long time. Exactly. So growing up, it was uh, not really a conversation. Mm-hmm. But even friends of mine mm-hmm. in other denominations are, you know, it's tearing things apart. Yeah. Um. In, in terms of like even how you operate today, in terms of pastoring, not in the sense of teaching, because again, teaching is a, a yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. But if somebody comes to leadership and they say we have a problem with one of your pastors and here's all the things that they went wrong. Is that something where you'd say, that's my gifting as well in the terms of pastoring? Yeah. Or would you say it's that's where he kind of shines? Or is it still like, oh my goodness, he's so creative and he he's not as gifted in that area. I guess yeah. kind, of, kind of the practical side, because yeah. a lot of people listening yeah. probably pastor yeah. with their spouse, whether it's in totally. their title or not. Totally. But in some of those situations, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Yeah, well, the wisdom of my husband is far greater than me. Um, and actually the way he has stepped into this role is actually quite supernatural. It's almost like there was one day when I, I remember, I can't remember the timeline of when it was. It's probably a year or so into it maybe when once we had established it to be a church and I remember I just looked at him one day and I said it's like you woke up this morning and decided you're a pastor mm. like you're a leader of this church and he goes you know what I had to I had to make that resolve and it's it's not like that morning he did but he mm. said I've had to come to terms with this is the mantle that God has placed on me and I can either keep denying that I'm the right person for the job or allow God's mantle to mold, shift me and actually drive me to Mm. become a great leader. And I watched him evolve into this. So any of those situations, we do that actually very much together. We lead very um, like much co-leaders. But I often, like over the last two weeks, this is the dichotomy where he's still worship. So he's, um, you know, co-producing our album as we speak and so the last two staff meetings I've had to run on my own and we haven't done that for a while because he hasn't been that busy and I was like oh wow I went home and I said I don't like leading by myself like I I feel such safety with you because the wisdom that comes out of you the knowledge he's very knowledgeable and he's a studious person so if he's going to do a job he's going to make sure he does it 100 percent. so if you give him that role now he is going to study and he's going to learn and he's going to glean and so in that we've we've again allowed both of that um to rub off in each other but he's helped me i've helped him right we help each other yeah so. work working as a team yeah. and finding out yeah who should do what and what needs yeah. to be done together, what needs to be done separate is is amazing. Yeah. Um, in terms of teaching and preaching, communicating, you mentioned Christine Kane. Yeah. There's other people that have paved the way um, for females that are traveling yeah. around. But as you look at your growth in speaking, what are things that you've done? This is not just as a female pastor. Mm-hmm. This is as a communicator. You're an yeah. excellent communicator. I've heard you speak at conferences. That's why we keep inviting you back. <laughs> but for those who are maybe yeah. younger in ministry or even maybe they've been in ministry a long time and they feel like they're still struggling to find their voice, yeah. what would be your recommendation for people yeah. as you had to find that mm-hmm. out over the last 
decade? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant question. And I think the answer to that um, is find out your identity in Christ. Like work on who you are because I think you you don't just preach content. You preach what God's been doing in you. I think the most effective communicators are the ones that it's actually, they've gained an authority because they've either overcome, they've lived it. It's a revelation to them. It's firsthand. It's not something that, oh, I need to talk on fear. Therefore, let me get all the scriptures on fear. You know, like I need to talk on faith. So now I'm going to pull out, you know, Hebrews 11. You know, Um, it's it's more. I just taught on that at all staff on Tuesday. (laughs) I just got. I called out, dang it. No, but yeah. you're, you're teaching your stuff. Find That's another scripture, thing. Logan. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like right. it becomes part of you. Like yeah. you, and I think you don't know how to tackle something with confidence and boldness and authority yeah. until you've really lived it. And totally. you really know. Because someone asked me the other week, Pastor Alex, do you ever get nervous? And I said, well, define nervous. I said, sure. am I afraid of speaking in front of people or I definitely get always that kind of like expectation yeah. of the nervous butterflies of like, okay, God, you better turn up or else I'm I'm toast. But I don't get nervous to speak in front of people because it's no longer about me. And I think for young speakers and leaders, you're so bound by how will, will I fail? How am I going to come across? Rather than it's the conviction of my life that if I don't get this message out and whether people like it or not, I have to speak this because I'm being obedient to the Lord. There is a growth that happens where you know who you are, therefore you know your assignment rather than I just want to be a speaker. Now let me develop the gift of communication. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was at a CMN conference a couple months ago Mm -hmm. and you were speaking at it and you said something that, you know, whenever you're listening to a speaker and you're taking notes and doing it and then there's something that hits you and you said uh, a, a lot of times we use the word or the phrase healthy things grow right? Healthy things grow. And yeah, totally. That makes sense. I've used it in meetings all the time. And then you kind of spun it around. You said, yeah, but cancer grows and weeds grow. All of us, I think in the room, (laughs) dang it, you ruined that phrase for us. Like I'm sure Hodges is like, wait, wait, what? Uh, We'll have to have him on the back on the podcast to clarify that um, phrase. But, but can you talk about growth versus health, right? You can see something grow but it may not always be healthy. Talk That's about right. that. That's right. And that is my biggest conviction. It's how we lead our church. And again, I want to be careful because I want to honor always the tr- my whole season of ministry life. But not all churches are healthy, but they're big. Sure. We've got a lot of mega churches, big churches, but that doesn't mean they're healthy. And we've seen a lot of collateral damage over the years. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of secret hidden sin. We've seen a lot of uh, double standards within the church, but because it looks really shiny on the outset outset, and because, oh, they've got 20,000, they've got 10,000, they've got 50,000, that actually means nothing to me anymore Mm -hmm. because I want to look at the quality of your fruit. Because if I go to a grocery store and you give me a whole tray of apples, that doesn't impress me. I want to make sure that when I pick that apple, bite into that apple, that it is juicy, that it is full of flavour, that it doesn't have worms or brown right. marks on it. So you can have a plethora of fruit, but it doesn't always mean that it's great fruit. And so my 
my I've been in this ministry now, like effective vocational ministry. It'll be 30 years next year. I've seen a lot and I've seen the biggest of the big things look great because they have grown. But would Jesus look at it and go, that's acceptable to me? Because he said, test the fruit, Mm -hmm. judge the fruit. And so I think for me, what's most important is what is the quality of somebody's walk with God? Because we work for God. A lot of people work for God, sure. but they don't walk with God. Mm-hmm. My thing is I want to make sure that people are walking with God so they're becoming the, in the image of Christ. And so I think sometimes church life, we can focus on all the metrics that the world deems as successful, but Jesus has got a whole different metric system. Right. And he's looking at quality, he's looking at character, he's looking at integrity, and that's why I spoke yeah. a lot in that message. So yeah. we're very vigilant about the health. I think the belonging could be a lot bigger if we didn't attend to those things that mattered. Sure. Yeah, my dad, when he's teaching on pastor's kids, he always says that uh, your kids know Jesus as your boss before your your savior. Yes. And I think that's so true for us that not even just with kids, but just in our life, that we're trying to bring a return. It's the whole Mary Martha conversation. Yeah. Um, but Jesus in his teachings, his ministry grew and then it shrank. It grew yeah. and it shrank, usually yeah. but when he taught on hard things, right? Yes. Um, as you have grown in both in size and health um, from the hundred in your basement, getting to speak at conferences, places with large crowds, right? Uh, Whether they're listening or not, again, is up to them, but you're on these platforms that God's allowed you to steward. How have you remained grounded back to the days in Adelaide, the days where you and Henry met, thinking, maybe God would do something through us. Again, the, yeah. the youth camps, all those yeah. moments where it's, you know, the, the youth yeah. evangelist uh-huh. says, you're called to be in ministry. Well, now you're seeing some of that fruit happen, yes. yet it's easy for it to get to us and make us think that it's about us. Totally. Whether, what are ways that you and Henry and even the whole team at the Belonging Co. Yeah. have helped to combat some of those emotions? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't ever, I go way back before even that. I go back to the day that I got saved at the age of 11, I, I think about the fact that I, I, nothing about me is good. Everything that, it, that is good about me is because of God. And the minute I forget that, then I'm, I'm on trouble, troubling grounds. It's why that night I, did talk, I talked about Saul and David because I was like, you know what? They're both called. They've both got the promise. They've both, both got the anointing. They've both got the gifting. But it was their hearts that I think forgot. And David at a, at a moment did forget. He started counting his men and taking credit. Like, mm-hmm. look at how big our army it, what, The army, the size of the army was never the reason why you won the battle. Right. The reason why you won the battle is because God was with you the day that you took down Goliath. Don't ever forget that. And I think for me... I don't forget. I don't forget that without Jesus, I'm nothing. That without, I owe him everything. And that might sound like a cliche here, but it's not. It's such a reality. It's like people always ask me, how do you stay motivated to read the Bible? I'm like, what do you mean stay motivated? That is my converse, that's my lifeline. Like, how do you stay motivated to spend quiet time with the Lord? What do you mean? How do I stay motivated? I'm so in love with him. I can't forget what he did for me. So the minute I start going away from that, and honestly, I think 
I've even said this to Henry, I, I don't really want to get much bigger because I feel like I'm so scared because things always start great but they don't always end well these days and I I just don't want to forget. And I think just personally for me and my staff will tell you this, I'm constantly, I, I live in the posture of servant and I, I, I won't allow myself to be the leader in my own mind, if that makes sense. Right. Now, of course, I have a position and a, and a mantle to do things and everyone knows the structure of our church, but I think my staff would tell you, we don't assume that position of we're in charge, get behind us. Mm-hmm. It's we get to do this and I can't believe that God uses us still. It's yeah. it's that uh, mindset that I don't think I could ever forget. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think that when even as you communicate, I think we all can resonate with it. But practically at times, I think people still will say, well, yeah, but look at the success you have. Look at that. If you'd be uh, open to being vulnerable, are there times maybe even the past couple of years where you've maybe behind the scenes, seeing that to be true, whether it be just with you and Henry or friends, where you felt, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm believing the lie, and even though I realize that I'm nothing, I think I've preached a message before called The Tale of Two Lies, how yeah. uh, the devil uses two lies that are contradictory to each other, but at the same time, which says you deserve this and you're not good enough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's, he uses them at the yeah. same time. And totally. on one hand, you're on the stage saying, look at me, I'm amazing. But then on the other hand, you don't think you're good enough, but he uses both the lies to tear you down. Totally. And are there moments you can think of over the past few years? Oh, <laughs> do you know how many times I want to quit? <laughs> I have wanted to quit many, many times. Yeah, that that is a wrestle. The wrestle of I can't do this I, I and I can't take it to another level. So, God, I think that that's a beautiful thing though. I don't think it's that I can't do this, woe is me, I'm a worm, you know. It's not that. My identity is firm in Christ. I know that the God in me makes me the person that I am. That's great. The good stuff that you see is the God in me, you know. Um, But at the same time, there is that dependence that I want to always have. But I've asked a very silly prayer, and I don't know if anyone else has ever done this out there, but I've asked a silly prayer. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about wanting the thorn in his flesh being removed so that it will keep him. Because he goes, this thorn in my flesh is there to keep me from becoming conceited. Mm. And I remember praying this prayer when everything felt overwhelming and and, and it was successful and people were just, you know, it was like the talk of the town, belonging, 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 la, la, la. And I remember going, God, this scares me because I don't want to ever be conceited. I don't want to ever feel like, oh, look at what we've achieved. Like I never want to be. I said, so, Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever thorn in my flesh needs to remain to keep me from being conceited, you're welcome. And that's a dumb prayer because he does do that. And I think the tension for me is whenever I feel myself feeling that flesh I feel like God just throws a curve into a situation or a betrayal or a (laughs) disappointment and it takes you right back to that place of dependence. And at the end of it, in the minute, I'm always like, oh, that's not fair. But then I feel like the Lord's like, remember that prayer? Because it just keeps you grounded. Mm -hmm. But there's been many times, uh, like I think 2020 and 2021, it was it was touch and go for me to go. Is it worth it? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the the stress? Is it is it? You know, I was talking to my assistant today on the way here, and I said, you know, 
uh, I'm doing this masterclass of preaching at the moment. I'm listening to it. And uh, John Mark Comer talked about being in and out of season. And I always thought that just was like, be prepared because whenever you need it, you, you should have something ready and waiting. You know, that's how I was taught. And he said, but actually, I think about it being in and out of season is that you've got to be ready and prepared that even in the seasons where you want to literally crawl up in a bowl, you don't want to get up on that pulpit because you are so struck by sadness or disappointment that you've got to be ready and prepared to be in that season mm. to bring the word of the Lord. Right. And I think that's why so many congregant members think pastors have got it all together because every week we show up, every week we get on that platform and we preach from a place of pain, but we, we, we preach through it. And they think everything's hunky-dory, but you go home and you get back on that pillow, back into fetal position saying, God, I need you. Yeah. And I think that's probably the hardest part of pastoring and leading is that you've got to, it's not faking it, but it's learning how to let God be that strength right. in your weakness mm-hmm. when you want to give up. Yeah, last year I was talking to Mark Batterson about that. He was talking about in his book Spurgeon, one of the best preachers mm-hmm. to live really, yeah. dealt with depression. Yeah. And a lot of times the devil will attack people, uh, especially as they grow in their yeah. ministry. But one thing that I've had to learn, I'm sure you've also learned the hard ways, the devil doesn't fight fair. Mm-hmm. Right, we think, okay, he, he, I'll concede this, you can go after that, but he's going to go after the things that hurt the most. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's our families. Mm-hmm. What are ways that you've helped protect your kids as your ministry have, has grown? Yeah. And now they're a little bit older now, but yeah. as you started this even 10 years ago, they're growing up, they're seeing this happen. I'm sure there were attacks. What are things that you've done to try and protect your family as he yeah. tries to tear it down? Yeah, and and he's tried and he is trying. Um, I, I think for me, I've always put our family first and I feel like that has been something that has really brought protection with my kids. The ministry never came before my children and I think that's a lie that the enemy loves to plant into, especially pastors' kids and kids of just prominent families that are, are being shared a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the enemy will love to come in and go see, you know, they don't care about you or this is over, this is more important than you and, you know, d- is this really all true? And I think the two things that I've done is, well, three things. First is prayer. I think you, you stop praying, you're dead. <laughs> uh, prayer has really protected my family. Um, the second thing is that I've put them first and they know that they could on, if we were to ask them if they were here and say, do you know what, what's the policy of your family? And I had, and I've shown it even to my congregation. There have been a s- seasons where I've cancelled ministry trips because I had to tend to what was going on at home. There's been Sundays on 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 the pulpit where there was flooding, and my daughter called because she was driving my son to church, and I stopped preaching and picked up that call because why? They are the most important. I didn't give it over to my assistant. I wanted to make sure that they're okay. When she's gone through a crisis, I've been there. I think they're the the biggest things. And the third thing is that we've lived the same off the pulpit, Mm -hmm. on the pulpit. Um, And I think what happens is when you've got those three elements, your kids, they're going to go through their little issues and their their wanderings and maybe their their process but at the end of it our family is tight Mm -hmm. you know my kids love us we love them Mm -hmm. and I think the enemy can't come against a united front Mm -hmm. you know he loves to work in division right I've I've talked about this before but the ARC uh, Association of Related Churches um, 
my dad's been on the board since really the beginning and us pastor's kids have grown up together, yeah. right? And seeing these massive, the largest churches in America, really, yeah. uh, growing up and sharing the same things. And I would encourage people who have pastor's kids that they have to meet other pastor's kids around the country, even if, like, do what you have to do, even if your church is small and you, yes. you're struggling to say, do we take that conference? I would send your kids somewhere, mm -hmm. even before you go, mm -hmm. because they need that connection with people who understand. And that was Sorry. so helpful for me. Really, some of my best friends to this day are yeah. those people. Yeah. And I've had friends that have really struggled with being in, in the spotlight. Yes. I love what you said about they're shared, right? Because yeah. I think that's the important distinction. Some people who are not in ministry don't understand, well, what's the difference? I work 70 hours and I work this. Yeah, but you're not shared for their parental and pastoral gifting all the time. You're shared right. because your company wants you mm -hmm. or because you are a great salesperson or mm -hmm. you're a great communicator even, but they're shared almost as a spiritual parent to others mm -hmm. and a pastor and counseling. And they're, yes. they're parenting dozens of other people, some of whom are even older yes. than them. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a distinction for yeah. sure. It is, because it, it's never off. Like the pastor never turns off. Like, you know, we are called out. And you know what it's like. You are probably the first in church. You're the last to leave. Right. You're always waiting for your parents to finish a conversation <laughs> before you go to lunch. Yeah. Still I mean, happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? And that I think about that with my kids. You know, they're always waiting for us or someone's always intruding on maybe something on a crisis level where you feel like I have to take this call or especially where we live, we can't go out without somebody stopping mm -hmm. and yeah. saying thank you so much for your ministry, it's changed our lives and, and while our kids appreciate that, it's not real fun when you're trying to have a great conversation with your kids and then people are just barging in and we love the barge, like mm -hmm bring the barge, but our kids have to share right. their quality time with their parents and that's why we often go to places where <laughs> no one knows right. us. So it, it is a different, it is a different life. You talked about the in season and out of season. Mm. As we wrap up this conversation, what is something right now in this season that's been top of mind? Maybe even as you've been traveling, you've been preaching on it, but just the overflow of what you've been, what you've been seeing, what God's been teaching you that you could maybe share with us. Oh, gosh, he's been doing a lot. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't, it, it's funny, I haven't, tra I haven't traveled a lot this year. So I've kind of cut back. So I can only speak for really my, my own church. But mm -hmm. I think, honestly, the, it's just the consistency and the faithfulness of like, you know, I've, I've really been into recently, you know, people, it's, my frustration is that when people get saved, they have a honeymoon relationship with Jesus, but it's it's that long walk of discipleship. Mm -hmm. It's that it's the long walk of obedience. It's the it's the consistent obedience. It's the integrity. It's the humility. It's the mundane. I feel like the church doesn't want to hear those messages, but yeah. that's what I feel compelled to speak on and and preach because it's in that, in the consistency of that, you know, Eugene Peterson wrote that yeah. book, The Long uh, Walk of Obedience, in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not fun, yeah. you know, to the world. And I think that for me is, 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 a, is a weighty thing right now is the consistency, that faithfulness, the, the longevity of I will follow Jesus on the narrow path that leads to life. Right. 
side. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah. it's unfortunately, it's what we don't want to hear. We mm-hmm. want the quick fix yeah. of how to get rich fast. Yes. And it's, well, if you just invest a small amount each month, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. How do I do mm-hmm. it quickly? How mm-hmm. do I become the best Christian? Or how mm-hmm. do I get on the biggest mm-hmm. stages? Well, maybe just preach to the 12 youth <laughs> kids that you have right now and do a good job. And <laughs> if they don't fall asleep, that's maybe a start, that's right? exactly right. So, yeah, so no one good. wants to do the hidden no, absolutely. Well, mm. it, you have been a blessing to us and all those listening. You're a blessing to our church as you continue to come back. Yeah, Thank you. Good. Hopefully you'll be back again yes. sometime soon. We can do another podcast with you. But Thank blessings you. on your ministry, Belong Co. For those, if, if they're in Nashville, go check it out. And uh, we're just blessed by you and thankful that you spent some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great questions.